This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. You are now tuned in to Westworld FM, a podcast about HBO's Westworld. My name is Alex. My name is Nick. Today we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 4 of the show titled The Riddle of the Sphinx. We will not be discussing the next time on preview at the end of the show, but we will be spoiling everything through Season 2, Episode 4 of the series. So please pause and go catch up if you're not current on the show. You can find more episodes of our podcast at westworld.fm. We're also Westworld FM on Twitter, and you can send feedback to westworldfm at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash midwestpodnet. That's M-I-D-W-E-S-T-P-O-D-N-E-T to pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K., who's pledged at the level of $10 a month. Woo, Jason. First off, thank you, John, my brother, for joining us the past two, for joining me the past two weeks mm-hmm. while Nick was on his honeymoon. Thanks, Nick, John. Welcome back thanks, from Alex. your honeymoon. Uh, I'm glad to have you here. I'm so glad to be back. I mean, I'm not glad to be back, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yes, yes. And... Uh, and for anybody who got too attached to John, sorry. Yeah. I am new John. Well, Actually, John was new Nick, and now old yes, Nick is back, if yes. we're cycling out hosts. Well, and in the days of... I'm Peter Abernathy. <laughs> he was brothel barkeep. He was not. He was new dad, but new dad is not as good as old yes. dad. And we won't be deleting old dad. No. Old dad is back. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he was never gone. Uh we might try and have John back for like the season wrap up or something like that. I would that. love that. Or if one of the two of us can't make something in the future, he may be back as well. What I love about John, uh, aside from the numerous characteristics he have, which which make him just such a great person, uh, as a host guy, I listened to all the episodes, not while I was gone, but when I got back and yeah. kind of in between. And uh, I think John, because John hosts the Game Nerds, I think he comes at it from a very, very gamer perspective, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And I do sometimes in sort of a backseat way, but it's definitely not the same at all. Yeah. And so there were a lot of times where I think he brought that perspective. It was really cool. And I actually, I had a lot of fun listening along because there were a lot of times where I could see where you guys were heading with a particular joke or, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about William being essentially like a video game avatar Mm -hmm. or a video game player, I guess. And I'm really glad you guys got to touch on that too. And John really helps kind of bring that perspective, which I think is really fun. And they're really leaning into that this season, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I mean, there's a whole lot more of that in the Midwest Podcast Network Discord, which we still have to get you on so you can you can see some of it. Yes, please. But John, John and I, we were arguing, not arguing back and forth, but talking about a lot of stuff from this episode this week. So if you episode guys, four? yes, okay, yeah. If if, if you guys want to get in on that, five dollars at the Discord per month or at, at the Patreon per month, we'll get you into our Discord. And they these guys go. I mean, I I'm usually pretty busy during the day, so I don't always get to check. But these guys go ham on Discord because yeah. And uh, I mean, the cool thing is this is actually a separate one from the one that you're used to. Okay, and it is meant for the people who pay and the hosts of each of the show so i've got john and brian on there i've got uh um i've got tim on there okay so tim's been posting the equalizer to uh uh (laughs) 
trailer in the Midwest Film Nerds channel, of okay. course. So if you missed Midwest Film Nerds, there's a trailer there for Equalizer Two. There is. Oh, I didn't. It's know real that. good too. Awesome. You should watch it. Uh, but other Midwest podcast network standbys like Tom, uh, Tom Z and Jason K are okay. in there as well. So oh, that's it's been great. Fun and and I have it set so that you only get notified if somebody tags you in a post. So I can call you guys into conversations that you would be. That's pretty awesome. Into, okay, so. I'm in. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, but anyway. Our own mesh network. All that goes. Yes, exactly. Uh, but we should we should get to talking to some feedback here. We did get an email from our friend Nevi who joined us when we did the Alienist recap. I was just thinking today I missed the Alienist yeah. recap. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. But we have Westworld right now. A previous. And we'll uh, have Preacher soon. Previous backstory or whatever. Their previous role. Yeah, previous build for us. For us, yeah. Uh, Nevi says, this is one of three Westworld podcasts that I listen to, not because I want to immerse myself in the Westworld talk, but because it's the show that all of my favorite podcasters seem to be doing. All the Westworld podcasts have become an echo chamber of sorts that I don't even, so that I don't even bother going on Reddit. I wish you guys were covering The Expanse instead. As far as current sci-fi shows go, it's better written than Westworld, and that's saying a lot. Oh, listen, I really plan on watching The Expanse, especially now that it's supposedly, it's been (laughs) dropped, but... yes. I started reading the first book in the series, and I was so into it that I I, I prefer to always read the book first. Yeah, and I got so into it, and I, while I was reading it, I was like, I just see this as a movie or TV show that I just stopped reading it, and I was going to change gears to the show because I was like, I just want to see it. Plus, I have a real bizarre affinity for Thomas Jane. I don't know mm-hmm. why I like him so much, mm-hmm. but when I heard that he was in it and the character that he's playing, I was like, oh, that's awesome! I have to watch this. Yeah. So, so I, and that it it did just get dropped. It may get picked up again by somebody. I think it will. Probably Netflix or something yeah, like that. It will. Hopefully, it will. But, I also uh, started watching Altered Carbon and haven't finished it, but I only have like two or three episodes left to go. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good sci-fi going on. We're we're the sci-fi renaissance that started you know ten years ago that we've talked a lot about in the in the film nerds in general. I think it's still it's hitting it's the still rolling, yeah. and it's actually getting to TV now, which is awesome because sci-fi TV was always like really bad. Mm-hmm. And now that we're getting good quality sci-fi TV, especially on like the streaming services, it's just great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on that, uh, eh, I had a note about that, but we'll come back. I don't okay. want to interrupt this. I book. did. Uh, I did want to. I do want to watch The Expanse. I haven't yet. Uh, but Nevi does go on to say, season two of Westworld has lost some of the mystery that made it so compelling in season one. Instead of discussing the ideas of consciousness and reality, we are just watching four subplots play out. Maeve's journey, Dolores' mission, Charlotte's mission, and the man in black's quest. (laughs) I'm sure there will be some cool twist in the end, but I'm hoping they will explore some big ideas as well. I think, quote, mystery woman, end quote, will end up being our emotional anchor this season since I'm having a hard time empathizing with anyone else so far. Meaning the woman in the Raj? Meaning the woman in the Raj, credited as Grace, we now know is actually Emily, the man in black's daughter, or William's daughter. He said, I'm digging the other parks way more than the storyline, too. And, uh, but yeah, no. Uh, Nevi, thank you for that feedback. Thanks, uh, Nevi. Thanks uh, for coming back. I'm interested to know how you felt about this episode. Same. After the comments that I just read. Well, I'm, I'm really in line. Yeah. And in agreement with what you're saying. And I think I said that in our first episode, the one I've been on so far, was that this season feels a lot less mysterious and a lot more... I guess I don't know that there's not a word for how I feel about the way it is now, but it's definitely not season one. I agree with you hundred percent. I think season one had all this, there's a lot less mystery and a lot, and a lot more like it feels like a warning. I think is what I said or something like that. I said, it's yes. filling me with this sense of dread, dread rather than the sense of like wonder. And that's how I kind of feel about the season in general. And actually 
Alex and I were texting and I said, I don't remember what you said that prompted it, but I said, it's reminding me, it's starting to remind me of Lost. And you said you hadn't watched Lost. And I feel even more so after this episode in certain ways. And there's a particular moment or series of moments in this episode that if anyone has watched Lost, they watched the scene and I guarantee they thought the same thing I did. But we'll get to that later. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's interesting because you said that before this episode and I know a lot of the Delos apartment stuff was yes struck a lot of people that way yes interestingly enough the director of the episode lisa joy said that she has never watched lost that's fine but someone on that someone involved well it was written by jonathan nolan and someone else but she was ultimately the director as well so like the way that she chose to portray it i don't know unless nolan like wrote it to be like it's, shoot this like Lost. it's a little and, unavoidable yeah i get what they're trying to do but it is it is so alike the same sequence in Lost that it's funny. Like it's almost a meme. Yeah. But the show is kind of like Lost in that and I a lot of people hate Lost and they have this knee jerk reaction like, Oh, Lost, but they just think that because that was the popular thing to think. Mm-hmm. But season one of Lost was incredible and it was so mysterious and interesting and captivating and it drew you into this world and set up all these things. And then season two started to kind of answer a few questions, not the ones people wanted, unfortunately, but it just started exploring the things that uh, were set up in season one. And this show feels similar. And I don't love season two of Lost. I think it's good. And I think this is going to be much better. I'm not trying to say that this is like of poor quality or the showrunners are not answering questions like the showrunners on Lost did not. But just structurally, they feel similar where season one is spending this whole time bringing you in and making you intrigued and making you question all this stuff. And then season two is more about uh, exploring what's been set up. But I think that this series is aiming much higher. It's obviously about much deeper things. And season two has its own mysteries, but because we have a footing in the world, it's not quite as like, I'm just spinning around in a dark room. You know what I mean? We've got some, some anchors. I felt everything you and Nevi said up until this episode. And this episode is where I'm starting to think that we are going to have the rug majorly pulled out from under us. But I think it's possible. Yeah. I think it's possible. I think we are starting to... I think this season is going to go a few ways. Either everything will be as on the nose. And you mentioned, I think, in the previous episode that in season one, we... In our recap of season one, I said everything we needed to know was in front of us the whole Mm -hmm. time. And I feel like that this season might be that way again. And the writing is that good, which is totally possible. Or it's something crazy and left field that has not been shown to us that this time around, they're not putting it in front of us. They're making us think maybe it is. And it's not. I'm thinking specifically to like the terraforming machines and stuff you guys were talking about. Um, And or it could be something so insane and something that we think we've moved on from, but we haven't. And I think there's a big clue to that at the end of this episode. And little girl says, if you're looking forward, you're looking in the wrong direction. Yeah. And I'm kind of personally thinking there's probably some characters who we thought were one thing and they haven't been all along, which would be pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with what, you know, the, the whole Delos thing in this, uh, in this season. Chekhov's Delos. stuttering. Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to see somebody else error out in the same way? Or hit the cognitive plateau. Or someone that maybe they maybe they perfected it. Maybe yeah. someone else did it and William isn't aware of it. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. Well, 
We'll get to that in a second here. The episode is titled The Riddle of the Sphinx. People have been kind of trying to tear this one apart. The Riddle of the Sphinx. Uh, in terms of the title? Yes. Okay. Uh, specific, like the, the, the riddle itself is translated in a lot of different ways because it's back in like writings of Oedipus and, and that kind of thing. But it basically translates to which creature has one voice and it becomes three-footed and two-footed no, becomes four-footed and two-footed and three-footed. The answer is man who crawls on all fours as baby, then walks on two feet as an adult, and then uses a walking stick in old age. Mm-hmm. And a good one. So I haven't really dug too much into the meaning of it, other than the idea that like William and the Delos Corporation is trying to create man, and like. But but the the thing that they're doing is creating a man who's like stuck in time rather than one who develops like a baby and then a person. So it's I I think I think there's a lot that can be read into there. I just don't necessarily know that it means a whole lot more as of yet. There's a lot of different application I think for that that metaphor of you know that life cycle. Yeah, it could be a metaphor for the hosts. You know that they. Uh, going in hand in hand with uh, Giancarlo Esposito's Lazo uh, story about mm-hmm. the elephant with the stick, you know the hosts maybe have been in this infantile state all along, and now they're moving into their adulthood. Now that they are somewhat throwing off their shackles, and I know that it's sort of a point of debate as to just how far along they are, especially with Dolores, which I think is wonderful yeah i'm really really glad you and john got dug into that because i was thinking the exact same thing yeah i was like i don't think she's bucked anything and i I, it's kind of my my theory actually is that she hasn't and we're supposed to think she has yeah but it seems so obvious that it makes me question it (laughs) (laughs) whereas like we think mave is totally off on her own trajectory and doing her own thing but I do believe she is because well, we've seen it. We literally saw her programming. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So and I was thinking more about that today of like if she was part of Ford's plan and that programming was part of Ford's plan, what's been thrown into disarray now that she's not out there doing those things that were programmed for her. But That's the funny part about Dolores when she told, uh, I don't remember who she was spoke, speaking to, but she said um, she knew she killed God. She was speaking to Craddock. To Craddock. Okay, that's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. Well, I remember when I was listening to that, or when I was watching that, I was like, that was episode two, right? I think, yeah, that was two. I think it was two. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, I remember thinking, he only, you only killed God because he let you. Like, he, he kind of wanted you to. Yeah. Like, if she hadn't pulled the trigger, Ford would have been like, oh, and then he would have just found another way to do it. Like... I, I'm not convinced that she necessarily has the power that she thinks she does, which is, I think, by design and pretty interesting. You know, it makes me wonder, do any of us really have the power that we think we do? Well, and I think I think it also sets her up for a very interesting reckoning by the end of the season, maybe. Yeah. If she finds out that she's still just been programmed, how will that turn her away from the monster that she's become? Yeah, and the the whole sort of trick of consciousness brought up in this episode i think is incredible because it almost is not real consciousness like because delos every time he's convinced he's normal and it's he doesn't know at first that he doesn't wake up and go i'm a host like he's just (laughs) 
he's just doing his thing. 134 times or something like that. I think he says 135. Uh, 149. He's build number 149 by yeah. the end of the episode. It's it's amazing. So at what point does any of them really, you know, how can it's it's a little frustrating that Dolores can remember everything and still not stop to just think for a second, am I acting of my own? But I mean, I guess if you feel it that strongly, who are you to question it, you know? John mentioned something, I think, in the previous episode about love because he was talking, you guys were talking about Hector and uh, and Maeve and their love. And I think John put it really well where he was like, it's not it's not rational. It's not a rational choice. No one chooses to be like, I choose to love you. And mm-hmm. then like, you know, just then love happens. You don't like pick someone out like you pick something at a grocery store. And I think he put it really plainly and simply and it was really well done. And I think it's kind of along the same line. I'm kind of wondering how much of that Somebody likened, to bring it back to the episode title, somebody likened the idea that in this intro for season two, we see a baby host Mm -hmm. and whether or not we will come to see the idea where there's a uh, very Blade Runner 2049, can we make hosts that can reproduce the same way that humans do? Right. Yeah. We talked about that in the first episode too. Yeah. And, And so I think it's kind of interesting to me, the idea that love still exists for these hosts, like these hosts that we're seeing are programmed to love people. Teddy is programmed to love Dolores. Maeve is not programmed to love Hector, but she acquires it along the way. But part of me wonders, like, is the maturation of the hosts them realizing that love is a construct Mm. and that they do not need it anymore. And then they become these weird sociopathic (laughs) beings, sociopathic, uh, completely apathetic things that roam the earth and rule the world. I don't know. There's something there. Like the idea that Teddy needs to let go of his love of Dolores because it is number one, his programming and number two detrimental for him and not what he wants necessarily. When you put it that way, I think it's even more arguable that they will embrace and understand that love is love is something that humans do and that it is not, it is not rational, but it's part of it's part of being alive. And you know what you just described with Teddy. I mean, I feel like th- that's symptomatic of a lot of people. Like we are often programmed to be attracted to a certain person that a is maybe not good for us, and b that we don't really want, but we pursue anyway, mm-hmm. and it's unhealthy. And I think that everyone at some point in their lives has had a relationship that is not good for them. Yeah but they pursue it and they try to make it work anyway. And some of the, you know, I think people often are guilty of chasing something that isn't right for them, especially like in other humans. Like they, they, they date people that they're attracted to, but they know it's not good for them. And the way you just described basically exactly what Teddy is doing with Dolores. I think that everyone goes through that at some point and Teddy will learn just because he 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 might learn that he needs to not love Dolores anymore, it doesn't mean that he'll give up on the idea of love, which is something that a lot of well, humans do. They think they they end a relationship with someone they loved, and they think, ah, like I'll never love again. And and Teddy's like a teenager essentially right now, <laughs> but he he could, you know, he's these these hosts are so advanced that they are taking on consciousness, and they will. I think they'll have to take on everything that comes with it. Well, there's like this other, well, the flip side of the coin is the idea that love is, yes, love is irrational, but maybe we perceive it as irrational because it is a biological process. It is, 
It is humans trying to make connections in order to procreate and further their bloodline. Like it, that that comes down to biological programming in some some ways as well. I think in some instances, but I don't think people love just because of procreation. That's true. Well, there's obviously the love for like for lo- the love of a child or parent like that kind of relationship as well which is completely different i guess and there are, there are people but, that don't want to procreate yeah there are couples who can't procreate that's true and uh they still love each other yeah so i think that there's a lot of room for interpretation and then love is one of those things that as we all know it can't necessarily be understood by anybody except for the two people that are in love with each other yeah it's a very awesome conversation to have coming off my honeymoon by the way <laughs> 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 how irrational love is yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, but it's one of those things, you know, you, you've people will look at couples with their friend or, or their sibling or, or parent who loves somebody else and they're just like, Oh, I just don't get it. Or it doesn't make sense to me, but you're not the, you're not one of the, f- one of the pieces of the equation there. You're just looking at it from the outside. Yeah. And that's true. It's love is one of those great mysteries. And I hope it's something they continue to touch on in this series. Because if, if you're, I think if these hosts are really going to cross over into, another being or I'm sorry, not another being, but like the next being to inherit the earth, it would be a little cheap if they didn't feel love. If they're going to have these emotions, I don't know because at what point do you draw the line and say, well, at any point Maeve could just, you know, change their level of compassion. I'm kind of wondering how much Maeve's love is actually her realizing she needs Hector as like a bodyguard and doesn't like, we don't know. That's so. true, and that that's the way even I feel about uh, William and um, Lawrence at the end of the episode. I don't think he's doing him any favors necessarily to be a nice guy. Yep. I think he knows. Yeah. We'll talk about that more later. Yeah. But, you know, I think the same thing I said it in episode one. I don't think Dolores is too sincere with Teddy. I think she knows the way he is, and she knows how to manipulate him. Mm-hmm. I think we see at the end of episode three when he doesn't carry out her, order, her orders, she's kind of like, well... i need a new teddy yeah exactly (laughs) teddy's teddy's gonna be kept on a short leash and uh, the moment he's not gonna as soon as he starts defying her that's when she's gonna start you know think about kicking him to the curb yeah teddy's so awesome by the way he is i love teddy love james marsden in general but i I like that this season is an inverse teddy death counter yeah where instead of counting how many times he dies in a in a in an episode we're counting how many episodes he survives and it's a teddy body count yes He's John Wicking everybody. Well, now that we're done talking about the the title, we should move into the episode. All right, <laughs> that's it's been a great episode. Thanks everybody. Yes, we'll see you next week. No, uh, so we open on Jim Delos living his life in a white, somewhat sterile environment. He's exercising, smoking, listening to the Rolling Stones play with fire, and so on and so forth. He goes to pour some cream in his coffee, and we see his hand jitter. His aim is off a little bit, much like some of the hosts that we've seen throughout the series. A woman announces a visitor, and young William walks in bearing whiskey. Dallas mentions to William wanting to get out of his housing, but William suggests that he's still undergoing an observation period and a baseline interview for fidelity. Dallas wonders if this means that they'd be having the same conversation again when William hands him a piece of paper. It's middle-aged William, which is cool. He's it's, not. He's not as young. Yes, he's, he's got, not. He's got yeah. a little bit of gray. He looks a little more worn. As soon as he walked in the door, I was like, oh. <laughs> I didn't notice it as much this time, but the second time I was like, okay, yeah. He's certainly, we're seeing his appearance change more throughout these. But 
If you had told me like 10 years ago that Liam McPoyle <laughs> was going to be in this show and be so good yeah. and and would basically be the young Ed Harris, I would have just laughed and said, there's no way. He's fantastic. And I'm, I haven't had a chance to talk about any of this yet. I'm so glad he's back. I was yes. really happy to see him. I was really happy to see Logan. Uh, all of that stuff with the two of them has been great. Everything with Jim Delos and, and visiting the park, his little speech, everything to to further Westworld was fantastic. Just I've I've really enjoyed everything about this season so far. Yeah, no, it's I, I think it's been the more intriguing of, of the storylines, I think, in my mind at least. Um Yeah, so this is where the lost parallel begins, the idea that we open on a record player and Oh immediately. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. If it's, you overlaid uh it's the Mamas and the Papas what song is it? In from Lost. If you overlaid the same track it would be like pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen the the people on Reddit are are up there with the comparison, and yeah, Lisa Joy did get asked about it in a few different locations. She's like, "I have never seen Lost. It wasn't intentionally there for my direction, but as we said, you know, Jonathan and I think someone else, he had another writing partner that was not Lisa for this episode. It's funny well. too because it's not just in the way it's shot, but the idea that this lone man is living in this like subterranean sequestered in a chamber apartment yeah exactly that's pretty good yeah um now all of the writing in the scene is fantastic Mm -hmm. all of the set design is beautiful what did you think he handed him at first i didn't really know i didn't have time to even think about it okay because i was just like Oh, what is that? And then we were already immediately back with like old William, and I was like, okay, all right, no, I can't think about this yet. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought for sure, I was like, it's his obituary, or it's like a newspaper article saying Jim Delos dead at whatever. I thought for sure it was something about his death. It's kind of more frightening though, and I like that it's never William is never so much walking in and saying, "Well, your human died, the mm-hmm. human you died." Delos always infers it because. At the time his consciousness was uploaded, he knew that they were working on this. Mm-hmm. So he he does have this moment of recognition, and it's never William saying... Right. He just has to get there on his own. Because yes. he can't tell someone that. Yeah. And the thing is, the thing that was weird about this whole process, I guess we're kind of talking about all of it right now, is that I don't really feel as though we see the malfunction that William notices until William comes in and makes it happen, kind of. Like, I know the jittery hand is one thing, with with, with pouring the cream is maybe one thing, but by the final time that he comes in, even the tech is like, he wasn't he wasn't messing up. Like, he didn't, t- he didn't mess up until you walked in there, essentially. So it's weird to me that, like, shock of realizing you are dead and that you're a robot version of yourself i think would mess somebody up 100 percent of the time yeah but i think I, they have to have some sort of test for measuring at what point it will be worth william walking in there because it seems like he made it to day seven one time and or he's like the first time i think it's like a couple hours, or he's it's like the next day like he made it a few he's like first it's a few hours and it's a few days it's a few weeks yeah it's getting stronger and stronger it's almost like they're waiting for like when Ford and and Bernard in season one were realizing that the hosts were improvising a little bit more, that they're kind of waiting for that breakthrough, breakthrough for the brain to be able to just keep going essentially in a conversation. Like he, he makes it a little bit further in the same conversation every time and he says the same things every time, but he doesn't 
he just can't go any further. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. No. It was very good. Uh, Jim does very plainly state that Delos is a biotechnology company, mm-hmm. which I thought was something that was interesting to note. Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't think there's too much else to dig into unless you had a note or something. No, I'm sure something will come up later. All right. Old William and Lawrence stumble across the railroad workers who have stopped working and you, or have stopped using wood and instead built the train tracks using hosts and guests who have subjugated them. William notes that the tracks are supposed to head north and not west, and he thinks Ford game has multiple, Ford's game has multiple contenders. William suggests they detour through Las Mudas, and Lawrence tries to steer him else, uh, otherwise, but William tells Lawrence he knows Lawrence has family there. Uh, I didn't want to think that there were humans underneath those train tracks, but once again, Lisa Joy did state those are, those are humans and hosts that have ended up somewhere near that railroad train train track that's pretty crazy yeah it's pretty the, dark the the people who who have subjugated those hosts the ones that are working on the 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 train tracks finally uprising and forcing the humans to i can't imagine it's going to be a very sturdy track i don't know yeah i don't I, i'm not sure as to the <laughs> i don't the think that's the it. point <laughs> <laughs> call me crazy but i don't know if it's up to code uh it's way worse than putting a penny underneath the train <laughs> yeah oh boy <laughs> Some kid with his ice cream and a pen a penny is just gonna go, Ooh, nope. Yep. There's bones under this track. <laughs> Any other thoughts on that? I there wasn't a whole lot else to it. No, not much. I think uh, it's funny how William just kinda looks at it and he seems mildly amused by it. Yeah. Kinda, oh wow. All right. <laughs> it it doesn't literally stop him in his tracks. No. He just kinda is like that's messed up and then yeah. just keeps walking essentially. But or riding along. Uh, next scene, Clementine drags Bernard to a cave and leaves him with a rifle and unties him. He takes the rifle into the cave only to find a shackled Elsie Hughes exactly where Ford commanded him to leave her after he choked her out when she found Arnold was accessing the bicameral mind system in season one. She grabs the rifle and turns it on Bernard, weary of him, but he's acting strange, mentioning cognitive lock, causing Elsie to take a look at his tablet, showing him as a host with significant problems. She reboots Bernard, who slips through time as he is out, showing a lab a lot like the one he was in with Charlotte in episode one with dead humans, a dump tray full of eyeballs, and more. When he awakens, Elsie has tied him up. She's resistant to help him, but mentions that there's no stations for miles. He thinks Ford had Clementine bring him there for a reason, and remembers himself visiting a secret lab in the cave Elsie was shackled at, and he finds the secret lever to open up the elevator. I'm glad Elsie's alive. Oh, yeah. I was pretty sure that she was, mm-hmm. and that was the thing I mentioned in our primer of, like, I feel like I know from things, because I thought I saw something where she was not necessarily talking about working on season two, but hinting at the fact that she would be back, and so I was like, okay, good. Yeah, it's nice to have her back. Um, And it also just made me think of the anagram of her name, which is She Lies Huge. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> pretty awesome. Very good. Back when back when Arnold Weber got switched into Bernard Lowe and somebody was like, What do these other names mean? Um <laughs> That's great. I like the pairing of her and Bernard, and it makes sense that like she doesn't have a huge reaction to him being a host. Yep, I was gonna say the same thing. But she just kind of is like, Okay, all right, I get it now. You're a host. Yeah, it I like I always liked them in season one. I think that they kind of 
are cut from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess not literally because one's a human and one's not, <laughs> but they they kind of speak the same Or language. are they? Oh, no, that's know. what I mean. I'm Sorry. surprised that we haven't gotten the, <laughs> the joke yet where she's like, what am I? <laughs> that was she Felix looks into the camera. Last season looking at his hands. Yeah. Yeah. She looks into the camera. Says hot tub time machine. <laughs> um, it's good to have her back, and it's I like, I like like what you said. Basically, I thought the exact same thing in the moment. I was like, you know what? I there I like the writing on this show because we get characters like this who just accept it, and mm-hmm. they they look at the evidence, they draw a conclusion, and it's reinforced pretty immediately. Yeah, and then they just say, okay, these are my new. This is the new reality i'm in and i just need to go with it rather than some stammering bullshit about like i mean those are all the people that are getting shot in the back by dolores out there mm-hmm. in the in the weeds yeah. so is this happening yeah oh my god this can't be happening <laughs> this is all part of the plan let's right? just wait for the cleanup crew <laughs> like no this is this is what you're dealing with and uh you know you just gotta roll with it survive or don't um yeah, there's a lot of people online complaining about the fact, like, how did she survive for so long? But I think if we take... I don't think it's been that long. If we take everything at, at face value, it's been days that she's been locked yeah, up Yeah, I was going to say, most. like, 72 hours, maybe. Yeah. And she's had protein bars and uh, water and or something. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. Plus, who knows if zombie Clementine has been bringing her <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no. Um, I'm sure... If that's the thing you're going to complain about, then you need to stop for a second and look at what show you're watching. Yeah, there are a lot of other problems. There's some people, uh, she she did, so when, when she finds that he's a host, she says, you rotated out. Where did you go when you rotated out? You have a family, you have an ex-wife, you have a backstory. She realizes all of the cornerstones of a host's, li- like of a host's creation are there. Mm-hmm. And some people are noting that that sounds a lot like William old William as well mm. potentially being a host but I don't understand exactly why that would be as of yet um, unless Williams will Williams the other human host yeah I maybe would, he was uploaded in there and there's somebody even above him who's using him to probe maybe even while he was doing the stuff with Delos maybe it wasn't at his whims to see how he would react to that yeah it would certainly help John's bionic arm theory <laughs> Which I really like. Yes. See, yeah. I always thought he had bionic legs so he could run really fast mm-hmm. and jump really high, but we'll have to see. <laughs> no, it's that, all, that, it's that, all bionic. That all made me laugh really hard. Yeah, he's <laughs> just bionic through and through. Uh, all right. Next scene, Elsie and Bernard head into the lab. It's the lab that Bernard was remembering with the dead lab techs and eyeballs. Elsie notes that there's a control unit printer there, and she sees red control units, which have been called chestnuts officially by HBO. Instead of the usual white control units, Bernard slips back in time, seeing himself using the printer and drone host also working in the lab. He comes back to current time to find Elsie frightened by a drone host. She shoots it in the head to put it down, and Elsie wants to know what was being done in the lab. Bernard mentions that they were watching the guests, but he needs more cortical fluid. Elsie finds a syringe full of it, asks Bernard if he had anything to do with the project, which he doesn't know, or if Ford is controlling him right now. Ford is dead. She lays him down and injects the fluid. Yeah. Um, I really love the way they shot Bernard seeing his past self approaching the cave and turning the switch and all that. That was all really well done. That was I very that. cool. It, yeah. it And we, we should mention this is the f- directorial debut of Lisa Joy, mm-hmm. one of the showrunners. Uh, and, and, you know, it, I think she did a fantastic job. Yeah, like it's really it, well done. 
it's a it's a there's a lot of sequences here that have a type of visual flair that fits in Westworld but also feels demonstrably like technical like it it doesn't it doesn't feel like a standard Westworld episode it feels like a special Westworld episode mm-hmm. to me at least so you could you could tell it's something she's been working on in her mind for a while I think yeah. there's a, there's a lot of like it comes from a very cool writing perspective because I think a lot of times writers will write things that can't necessarily be achieved or that are a little lofty and and they and they think in a way that sometimes directors don't yeah where they think like oh wouldn't it be cool if this whereas a director might come in it more from this is what I would do or this is what's possible sometimes if you you get rooted in a certain method of of approach and uh having somebody switch over like that and i'm sure she was i'm i i almost am never willing to give a lot of credit for really strong execution to first-time directors because i think they probably had a really great dp and a good team surrounding them yeah and that's where i stand on this too (laughs) i think well but some of it is like a lot of it on tv at least too is like it comes down to the show bible and the fact mm-hmm. of like having showrunners that no, it's, are there it's to very dictate true. things yeah. but she's also the showrunner in this mm-hmm. case so she's probably been dealing with a lot of the questions that other directors have had too and seeing those challenges as well so yeah. it's 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 awesome but we know that the entire team at Westworld is fantastic anyway look Top, at the yeah. rest of the show There's so not a weak link yeah Oh, it's really well done. And I, all the Bernards slipping in and out of time is starting to make more sense to me now. I'm starting to be able to follow where, or at least what I think is when he is for now. That's where I think the rug pull is. I think so. Especially later in this episode when he, the moment that he says, I'm not yep, here yep, with you, yep. am I? I was tells me thing. that they could completely turn us around in in with with just a few more scenes. That was an awesome moment, and they really quickly move on from it. And they I do. think I think that's that's one to like, you know, put put a mark there. <laughs> we need to come back to that. Yeah, I think that he might be running. He might have been running through that while he's with the the um, security team, the the rescue team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the what's the guy's name was in charge of that? Strand. Carl yeah, Strand. he might be with Strand or. I don't want to go so far as to say that was not Elsie ever that he's got some face blindness again and it's somebody mm-hmm. else entirely. Mm-hmm. But it might be. I don't know. I don't know why, yeah. though. I don't know what the point of that would be. I don't know yet. But And if this the, has all truly been masterminded by Ford, like lit, all of this stuff, he's like, Ford wanted me to come here. If that's the case and everybody else keeps referring back to like, oh, they're part of Ford. I mean, William very clearly is like, has been aimed by Ford. Yes. That's the case. I got to find it incredibly hard to believe that we're not going to see Ford again, who's been uploaded into a host and is a part of, and and with the revelation here, we haven't quite gotten to it yet in the recap, but with the revelation that they are making the Delos copies in this lab and they are uploading human consciousnesses into the red pearls that are in the chestnut is how the, another HBO vocabulary lesson there the my thought is since maybe they have not found out how to overcome that cognitive plateau is was the ford that got shot a copy yeah and is real ford sitting in a bunker somewhere watching it all yes bobbing his head to the song that anthony hopkins posted that put that video on twitter oh, yeah. is actually from ford as yeah. he's watching That's a leaked leaked scene yes 
from the series third season finale. <laughs> but I, I feel like if you're if you're that level of brilliant and this is your opus, while getting yourself murdered just at the start of it to watch the dominoes then or to have the dominoes then fall, while that's very poetic and operatic, I don't think you could resist watching. The other side of things and I don't know how the technology would work out and if it makes sense that they would have a copy of his consciousness anywhere. Part of me is hoping that the other host, the other host-human hybrid, is Arnold because it is Ford literally saying, like apologizing for the fact that he didn't listen to Arnold. And he's giving Arnold his life in the future that he saw as a host. That'd be beautiful. So... But there's a lot... It could be a lot of things. There's other other theories out there about it being... Ford had it made for it to be a copy of Young William for the Man in Black to confront, mm-hmm. which I also think has interesting things to it as well. But it could be we were it could be any number of things at this point. We don't really know as of yet. You're referring to the the one that was being made and Ford's the one that Ford commanded Bernard to make, and we see Bernard making in the flashbacks. Right. Okay. We know that there's another human host hybrid somewhere, or that there could be. Or we that just, there's at least one. At least one, There might yeah. be more. Uh, we don't know if they figured out, if Ford himself figured out how to get over the cognitive plateau. We don't know if they didn't, and that human-host hybrid has some sort of finite lifetime on it. it I feel like Ford may have on his own, and that's part of the game that he's set up for William. One thing I I wanted to say while I was listening to you guys along is I I really love how much deeper William's involvement in the park goes. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like at the end of season one, we were like, Oh, okay. Like he's, he, Oh, he runs it, whatever. He owns it, whatever. But we see how thoroughly he is invested in it and how he has been plugged in for so long yep. that I, I, I love that his involvement goes that much deeper. It makes, it makes him so much more important of a character. He's, I don't even look at him so much as like a, just a villain anymore. Like he's, he's a main character. Yeah. And this is his story as well. He's not just a force of antagonism in other people's story. Yep. And I'm way more invested now in finding out what's at the end of the road for William. Absolutely. Absolutely. It also makes... Because before in season one, we heard like the the one of the NPCs say to him, this game is not meant for you, William. I was like, what? Like I just didn't compute. But now I realize that William and Ford probably knew each other so well. And... I think we're going to get more Jimmy Simpson stuff, hopefully with either young Ford or, or somebody detailing that his kind of descent into the man in black William that we know now and, and knowing that his obsession with the park and solving the riddle within, you know, where that groundwork was laid because the stuff we've seen with him so far visiting Delos and stuff, he still seems a little bit like, on the level of wanting the company to work, wanting the park to be successful. But we're, we're kind of getting, I feel like some little breadcrumbs as to him, like wanting to answer this question of consciousness. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I want to like, see more of that transition for sure. Like the, the number, some of the number one question that I have is like, what types of interactions did Ford and William have mm-hmm. as William was quote unquote, the money man that Ford calls, the Delos people in season one. And I, that's kind of the thing missing in season two is like if Anthony Hopkins was here and could have even in flashbacks or however they do it, I want to see more of that. 
So hopefully they figure out a way to do it or that they did figure out a way to do it. Because I got to imagine Ford is, is roughly William's age, if not like just a little bit older. Yeah, because we see in, season, in episode two that young William is at the same time existing as young Ford. And, and Arnold. And Arnold, And yep. Logan, yeah. So they should roughly be similarly aged. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, yeah, we see old Ford with old, old William, yeah. yeah. Uh, the only other stuff in this current Elsie and Bernard uh, scene I wanted to say, some people were wondering if this was the same lab that Charlotte Hale was in. I was wondering that as well. Uh, the answer is I'm pretty sure no. I don't think so either. Because there's a number on the elevator doors after they close behind them. I think the number behind Charlotte and Bernard is 14, and the number behind Elsie and Bernard it's is 12. 12, yeah. So there could be, you know, a lot of these little secret, a bunch of other little secret labs elsewhere in the park doing awesome. who knows what. Uh, all right. The woman in the Raj, who I'm now going to call Grace as she was credited, is guided to ghost nation to a ghost nation camp, along with a few guests you may recognize from season one. The dude who shoots Hector and his wife mm. are two of the people tied to the log with her. Awesome. Uh, she finds herself sitting beside a tied-up Ashley Stubbs who is told something is coming by one of the natives. Stubbs doesn't think that they're killing humans, but Grace doesn't want to take her chances, and she's not looking to get out of the park anyway. Um, I'm very excited to see more about Grace. I don't know if, if you felt the same way when you met her last episode. Yep. I'm excited um, to see more about Stubbs. Yes, I'm glad to the Muldoon of this series. <laughs> I'm glad. Well, n- not Muldoon because he survives. Well, but for now, <laughs> I'm. It's interesting to start filling that question in. We now know that he survived because Ghost Nation was cordoning them off, but we don't really know why as of yet. Mm-hmm. So, um. Grace also knows the native language, which is supposed to be an actual Sioux language, I believe. Is it called Lakota? Lakota is what it's, what it's, at least what it says on the subtitles. I think there's some people online that have like, there's a dude on the Westworld subreddit who says that he has tracked down some of the last Lakota speaking natives (laughs) in the country. Okay. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. Not too much else about that as of yet. The The guests that are from season one are really good. The, the It's very small part. He The dude was dressed in like his purple suit. He's the one who gets a picture with Hector in this first season after he shoots him in the I, head. I remember that. Yeah. Just before his big speech that Sizemore wrote and was disappointed that he didn't get to deliver. <laughs> so. All right. Next up in Lost Mood is old William and Lawrence get ambushed by Major Craddock and crew who escaped from Dolores thanks to Teddy in episode three. They get tied up and taken into the church where Craddock has rounded up his whole, the whole town. Lawrence mentioned he mentions he doesn't want to get killed in front of his wife and child, so he tries to appeal to William, saying William mentioned he had a daughter once. Lawrence tries to hatch a, hatch a plan, but William has a different one, telling Craddock where the guns are, but offering to get him to the place he's trying to go. And that is glory. Um, some interesting parallels with the first visit to Las Mudas of, of William sitting down. They, they sit down at the same table, but they're on opposite sides of the table. William starts dismantling his gun once again because that just is where he cleaned his gun every time, I guess. Um, so that's cool. Um, 
I liked Craddock's line saying that he was double crossed by some bitch named Wyatt, and then William says, "Good for her." Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> he knows right away. Yep. Um. There's some weird Jesusiness going on with Craddock. He's a very religiously tied character. We noted the Last Supper tableau that's in the the episode that you meet him in in episode two, but also like when he walks into the church with them, he goes up and drinks from the the chalice or the blood of Christ or whatever it might actually be in Las Mutas. And I just think there's this strong religious connection to a lot of this episode. Um, the uh, previously on Westworld preview brings up the fact that Ford brings up Lazarus mm-hmm. and, and, and the resurrection of man. Uh, we see that the, the place where Delos is being resurrected is in a cave, much like Lazarus. Mm-hmm. So it's just, they're going over the top with a lot of the, the church, the church symbology and stuff in the show. And I just think it's, it's interesting. It's very cool to see how they're using it. Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, anybody who wouldn't agree, I'd, I'd say you really have to look at what the show's about. I mean, yeah. we're literally watching like creator and creation. Absolutely. And if you can't take creator and creation and just move them up one rung on the ladder and say, look at yourself and say, am I the, am I a creator or am I a creation? Then you're not. You're probably not having as much fun watching the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the man in black does look very suspicious. I call him the man in black. Old William looks very suspiciously at Lawrence when he mentions that mm-hmm. he that that he had mentioned previously that he had a daughter. Some people are taking this as William realizes that Ford has programmed Lawrence to say this thing, even though Lawrence doesn't actually know that. Um, or it could possibly be Lawrence re- re- remembering something from the past because yeah. he's starting to remember those things. So I think it's that's an interesting little interaction. That reaction, that micro expression that Ed Harris gives is very good. File, you could see him filing that away for later. Yep. William will remember this. <laughs> uh, yeah, any other thoughts on that stuff real quick? I'm surprised he gets caught with his pants down, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like him to get the drop. It's, that's, for somebody to get the drop on him. That's true, but I think in Las Mutas, like even the first time he's meant to be ambushed in season one, he's meant to be ambushed by Lawrence's cousins, mm-hmm. and he knows they're all coming. And I think he's kind of just on that loop of like, I know what this is probably going to be, despite the fact that things have been different. He's probably just like not seeing anybody here. I can sit down for a second. He's being a little sloppy. Just a little sloppy. Yeah. Yeah. He's relying on old knowledge, which he now knows is not. Throw out the playbook. Yes. Delete old dad. Get your bionic arms ready. Yep. <laughs> uh, and he mentions, Lawrence asked him, do you, uh, you think you you think your daughter would want to watch you gun down in front of her? And, and William replies, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right. Uh Back to Delos in the same apartment. He's playing a different song, which is Roxy Music's Do the Strand. His hand shakes with the creamer again, but it all makes it into the cup. A slightly older William comes in, and the same conversation from earlier ensues. This time, we get to see what's on the paper, an exact transcript of their conversation. William explains that it's been seven years since Delos died, and while Delos wants to go out and enjoy his life, William notes that things have happened in those seven years, including the passing of his wife, 
due to a stroke. William tells Delos they need to keep him there for observation, and Delos starts malfunctioning similarly to Abernathy. Uh, and William leaves, and we see that Delos is being kept in a fishbowl for observation. This is the 31st build of host Delos, according to the tablet. And uh, William orders him terminated, and the fishbowl goes up in flames. It's crazy that they burn the whole place. Yeah. The time. No, it's so wasteful. <laughs> yes. I, I don't understand the thought there. Just wipe his memory and start over. Yeah. Or, or just take him out and throw him in an oven and then bring in another one. Like, I, it doesn't. I don't know if they feel like it'll be contaminated. Like, I don't know. It's it just weird. has to go hand in hand with, like, all the hell metaphors that he brings up later. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. I, I'll bring up real quick. I was thinking the other day of like the seven circles of hell and how there's six parks at least. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it means yet. There might be something there. That but. is interesting. Um, hell world. What do you think of Peter Mullen? Have you seen him in anything else? He's the guy playing Jim Delos. No, I don't think I have. I, I whipped him up on IMDb there the first time he showed up and I, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. I saw him in Ozark. He's really good in Ozark, the oh, Jason okay. Bateman show on, on Netflix. Um, but he's no, good. he's great in this show. Yeah. And I'm excited to see more of him in everything, but also in this show if he's in it anymore after this. Uh, yeah, after his dance moves, <laughs> which, are, which are fantastic. <laughs> They're very good. There's a good conversation with Lisa Joy about that. She talks about how... Um, there were certain things that he brought up like she was discussing with him how they can bring things that a person would only do by themselves right. into the situation to kind of show that he knows he thinks and 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 believes that he's he's alone on his own yeah, yeah. and that was one of one of the ones that uh dancing that he nobody's up. watching he 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 came up with the idea of him spitting into the toilet as he's peeing into it is what she mentioned in her reddit AMA, yeah i believe so it's very cool um yeah i don't know we talked about a lot of this up front so i don't think there's a whole lot else but the fact that seven years have passed now very interesting <laughs> Somebody on Reddit put the three images of William, like him, his face essentially, on, like while he's sitting on the couch, uh, all side by side next to each other, and watching how both of them are trying to act like each other with their facial expressions is very cool. <laughs> like Ed Harris and uh, Jim yes. Simpson. Okay, they very much sat down and were like, "Let's do this," and it fits. That's it works really, neat. really well. It's it's so cool. Um, just the way that they are holding their mouth because Ed Harris as an older man has very thin lips mm-hmm. and Jimmy Simpson has fuller lips, but the way that they purse their lips as they are waiting to speak or just kind of sitting there, it's very noticeable. That's great to see them acting like each other when, when you pause and see it, when you see it on screen, it feels very natural, which is awesome. I'm really glad that it's a different actor and they don't just try to de-age Ed Harris. Yeah. I think that's totally acceptable and it's pretty cool. Yeah. It, like, it, it seems like in season two they should have found a younger Anthony Hopkins somewhere. They may yet. Who but, knows? Yeah. Anthony Hopkins, though, is definitely one of those faces that is distinct. I mean, you know Anthony Hopkins and you see him. You yeah. Know, I, I guess you can't argue against that for Ed Harris, though, either. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as much a household name, though. Yeah. Very true. 
Uh, all right. Next up, Craddock finds the weapons and the nitroglycerin stored with them. He uses it to teach the barkeep a lesson to have a steady hand, but then blows the hand off by shooting a shot glass full of nitro that he placed on the hand. Old William and Lawrence are very disgusted by this cruelty. Um, any thoughts about that scene? It seemed like a very westerny scene. Yep. Uh, pretty nice in that sense. What's the guy's name? Craggan? Craddock. Craddock. Major Craddock. Craddock is like the best kind of villain. Just this like white trash asshole bully. <laughs> yeah. So f- they're they're one of the best kind to watch get their comeuppance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Boy, boy, does, boy he does he ever. get it. <laughs> uh, next up, Grace Stubbs and the other humans are led to uh, led at nightfall to the quote first of the Ghost Nation. Uh, to decide what happens to them. Grace uses her Lakota skills to ask who that is and is not told, but we see that it is Akechita, the native that assisted in getting Logan's investment in, stu- uh, in the park with Angela and the others in episode two. Grace breaks free and escapes while Stubbs is threatened with a knife, knife uh, to the throat as Akechita stands him up and says, you only live as long as the last person who remembers you. And all of the Ghost Nation members disappear, leaving the humans alive at the shoreline. I don't really know what any of this means. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I was sitting here waiting for the explanation. Well, the, I have heard, a, and I don't know who it was from. There's somebody out there who came up with the idea that a person lives or dies three de- three deaths. Yep. There's the death where your body stops working. There's the death where your uh, the people who know you no longer are alive either. And then there's the death where nobody speak. the last time somebody speaks your name yep. is your final death. And that is some existential dread, right? Absolutely, there. and and so I'm still just kind of at a loss, at a loss as to what the ghost nation, how the ghost nation people are operating, so what exactly they're doing. The one that speaks to Stubbs is that the first of the ghost nation, supposedly. I believe it? that's what is meant, how that's meant to be taken, and he he is the the host that is at Logan's wooing the meeting. party. Yes, yeah. okay, that's what I thought. Ah, that's too bad. I was hoping for something more. I just don't know what. Like the the literal how, how she says that you're being we we will take you to the first of us. Yeah. I don't know what I was expecting. Yeah, I was expecting I guess us to meet somebody who we had known prior, somebody who was going to like be of use. Mm. But I think if it's him, I mean that makes sense. He may have literally been the first host to become a ghost nation member well and the interesting thing that people have been talking about is the fact that the native that the man in black scalps in the first episode (laughs) is a different actor who passed away after the pilot was filmed is it supposed to be the same character potentially oh we don't know i don't know for sure i don't i don't think they are meant to be the same character because that dude's name was Kissy, and there's no... They haven't been trying to make him look the same. He looks very different. Yeah. Kissy was playing a card dealer in the bar at the time. He wasn't a Ghost Nation member. I do not know whether or not he was in the flashbacks with Maeve on the homestead. Mm-hmm. We do know that they have inserted Akechita into those flashbacks in season two. Right. So he was there. But... I think there's a lot for them to still show us and explain in regards to Ghost Nation. 
Yes. I was, as I said last episode, I think I was thinking Elsie was programming them, but we know that's not true. Right. Yeah. I want. I feel like they've got to be caught up in Ford's. It's yeah. It's certainly programming from Ford, but like to what end? Why did he feel the need to sequester the humans away? I actually thought for a minute. Well. I think he may be thinking like he, humans have a role to play. He, I don't think he's wishing for the extinction of mankind necessarily. We had this discussion in the finale, I think, and who won? Uh, nobody won. It was just <laughs> it was you. You very much said that we're living in loops right now. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, uh, we are hosts. When does Ed Harris walk through the door and <laughs> hand me a transcript? <laughs> That'd be amazing. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> Can you stay a little while? <laughs> That's cool. I'm a robot. How are you, Ed Harris? Yeah, Ed Harris. Wow. <laughs> How many times have we met? <laughs> this is great. Please don't burn me alive. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess that's true. Like Ford doesn't necessarily think that may, maybe they're just supposed to be, maybe humans are meant to be servants to the hosts or something. Well, or may, maybe hosts are the ultimate test for humans to decide if they want to be better, if they want to continue to inherit the earth or if because at the end of the day it doesn't really matter this is my point of view i guess the the hosts can still be programmed they're still machinery essentially so even if they even if dolores has achieved consciousness if someone gets the drop on her she can still subjugate them well, no, if someone gets the drop on Dolores, oh. Bernard can stick his little cable in her arm and just send her back to zero and there you there you go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they will but humans just aren't that way. Or at least, you know, well, before we get into some whole discussion now about <laughs> us and our reality, for the purposes of this show, humans yeah. are not that way. Humans are humans. And so I feel like it's not as simple to for I think Bernard or I'm sorry Arnold was very much like yes the hosts are better than us the hosts are capable of of being deeper than us and feeling more emotion than us and and just being a better uh people but I also think that's really stupid and naive because I think humans probably were that way once or at least humans either that or humans have always been bad and hosts will eventually get there too like I don't know. I have I have mixed feelings on that. But Ford, I don't think it's so it's so black and white for Ford. I think he thinks humans are are where they are for a reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he is one. I think Arnold was kind of always a little more host than human. It's kind of the way it <laughs> seems, especially the way Jeffrey Wright plays him and Bernard, yeah. him and Bernard. But I think Ford Ford's very much a man, especially considering his religiosity. Yep. So I think he he's not willing to write off God's creation so quickly. You know what I mean? God, after all, God had a flood once, and He was said, you know, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep you guys around, but you know, there were some of you that had to go, and this may be Ford's flood, the Teddy so flood. Ooh, <laughs> man, if Teddy was the right hand of Ford, that'd be so baller. I'd be so into that. Yeah, there's some people. He just gives uh, him the golden gun. He gives him two P90s and says, "Go forth, Teddy. Dispense justice. Speak the good word. Here's a dragon. <laughs> Fly on it. Not a flamethrower. An actual dragon. An actual dragon. Yes." Host dragon. Here's a shark with legs. God, is medieval world one of these? There was medieval Probably, world yeah, was, was in, in Westworld. Yep, yeah, right? uh, what was it? Was film. it called? Was it called medieval world? I can't remember exactly. Or like castle world, <laughs> Camelot world, night world, <laughs> Westworld, medieval world, and Roman world. Roman world. That's right. Yeah. How did I forget? Roman world was so tacky looking. Samurai like, world is in I was future like, world. Who, who would go to that? Yeah. <laughs> I want to be fed grapes on a lounger. 
So I guess in the end, we just know that Stubbs is now alive, and we don't know exactly why as of yet. But well, we know now. We knew he was alive in episode one. Yes, at least in the two weeks later, I used two weeks. Roughly. We know why Stubbs is alive. Yeah, we we presumably. yeah. We don't know what. Still, I, stuff could happen in between. Yeah, I want to know where we are in you know in the time between. Yeah, we're still we're still probably only a couple days after Ford died. We're not. Yeah, we're not quite. We're not all the way through the eleven days. It's eleven days. I was trying to it's remember. It's like the time it's. Span. They called it two weeks, but the uh, Dolores killed the native near the beach eleven days prior to when they. That's right. Watch that was... video. So we don't really know. That's true. That may yet. be some of the Ghost Nation people we were just hanging out with. Potentially, yeah. She might get pissed at them. Yeah. So, hmm. um, yeah. But anyway, on to the next scene. Bernard awakens to find Elsie looking at a bunch of data on the tablet that looks related to the data that he saw in Abernathy. He mentions he gets lost in his memories, and Elsie mentions that they're drifting around in his head so he doesn't know if it comes before or after the others. Bernard slips back in time to when he authorized the printing of another red control unit, Pearl. He comes back and tells Elsie they weren't building hosts exactly. Elsie notes that it's the same hardware but a different programming language. They hear a noise from behind a door and Elsie goes to check it out, shooting the lock to open the door. Bernard tries to stop her, but he's slipping through time and is unable to do so. Elsie. Don't. Whatever they're making here, it's behind this door. Maybe we don't want to know. We have to see what's inside. Elsie. Elsie. I'm not here with you, am I? Yeah, as soon as I heard him say, I'm not here with you, am I? I was like, fuck. We know nothing about Bernard and where he is now. Yeah. Like, they just have given themselves that little indicator. That's the thing about this show. Every week, I'm like, well, now I have to rewatch the whole season, the whole series again. <laughs> yes. Like I, It's like every time I see an episode, I want to go and watch all of the previous episodes Everything. to recontextualize all of yep. it. No, you're not wrong. Which is incredible. I've never felt that way about any other TV show. Mm-hmm. And I guess I haven't watched that many mystery boxes. I haven't watched Lost. I haven't watched a lot of those bigger playing at mysteries shows. But this one just honestly, every time it ends, I'm like, man, I usually end up going back through at least to a few different things and say, okay, I'm going to rewatch this scene because that kind of had something to do with that. And I kind of move through the ones that stick out in my mind, but there's so many other moments that I know. I was just thinking while I was watching this one, I need to have like a crazy huge spreadsheet that has like every stupid <laughs> detail. Like when the elevator door closed and it said 12, I was like in my mind like, okay, door 12, 12 is elevator of sector 22 <laughs> outpost <laughs> in Canyon. You just have a big yarn wall with... <laughs> I wanted to wipe the whiteboard and just start putting stuff up there, but... That'd be awesome. There's so much that I don't even know. Plus, you wouldn't be able to read it because I'm a serial killer. But <laughs> You mean you wouldn't allow me to because you're a serial killer or your writing no, is No, my handwriting so is so bad that I'm probably a serial killer and you wouldn't be able to read it. So. That's true. 
You need um, to get the Laszlo, Laszlo chalkboard going. Yes. You should just repaint one of these walls with the chalkboard with the chalkboard paint, paint. Or the dry erase paint, which is awesome. We have it at work, and it's really it's a really cool thing. Yeah, that's what I was gonna do. We don't have to get into that anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like me in every episode of every show we've ever done. <laughs> oh, I, never, never mind. I'll come back. Uh, I liked the visual three D printer and three D printer ishness of the yeah that was cool control unit. It kind of looks like polygraph hands. Like on like a polygraph test, the, mm, yeah. the like pen marker thing, um, yeah. but dispensing like the red fluidy type stuff. Yeah, this reminds me simultaneously of uh, Prometheus with like the map. Like I felt like watching this scene. I was like, that'd be cool in 3D. Yes. Uh, it also reminds me of Minority Report with the balls, the wood balls that get the names etched in them. Uh, have you seen Minority Report? A long time ago. Oh, wow. It hasn't been recent enough for me you to remember re- what you're That's a movie about. you should watch every like two years because yeah. it's so awesome. But the the when there's going to be a murder, um, the name of the victim, I believe, is printed. It's like etched into these wood balls that's then dispensed to the police. I think it's the victim and not the because mur- yeah, you don't know. You don't know who's the murderer. Wait. You have to figure out. You Yeah, you find out. No, because it prints two balls, I think. It's the the murderer... And the victim. But anyway, it reminded me of that. So that, that's the, the point of this story. Don't write in about Minority Report. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts about them yet? We still got one more scene with them coming with all the actual important stuff, I think. Well, let's just go there then. Kind of. Well, there's more stuff in between. Craddock tortures Lawrence for stealing the nitroglycerin uh, from the Confederados. Old William gets angry and Craddock monologues about how death makes old men agitated, but he and death are old friends. Craddock dances with Lawrence's wife just like William did with her in season one. Craddock then sends Lawrence's wife out to him with a shot of nitro as Lawrence is beaten in front of her. The situation reminds old William of his wife's suicide and he decides to buck up and kill Craddock and crew. He guns most of them down and then force feeds Craddock the shot of nitro to then have Lawrence blow him up with a shot from a rifle. The scene is so good. It's there's so many amazing things in it. Yes, beautiful monologues from two different people. One of whom we expect it from the other one who we don't because we don't know him that well. Speaking of Craddock, I mean, um, did the scene of all the stuff happening simultaneously with the music? Did it remind you of anything? Um, do you know what I'm talking about? When when when. The, she's walking with the shot and he's like looking at his gun and smiling and William's looking around and then he's remembering his wife's suicide and him running up the steps and all that kind of stuff. And the mu- the way the music is going. Not specifically. It must not no. have. Okay. I remember while I was watching it, I was like, I, f- <laughs> I feel like Alex is going to compare this to the scene in John Carter when he's just uh. slaughtering them and he's remembering <laughs> burying his, his wife. No, yeah, that's that's a fantastic parallel actually, okay. and I'm disappointed. It means I need to rewatch John Carter because I haven't done that recently. I, I'm but, in. Let's go yes, right now. Absolutely, we'll be right back. Alex um, and I are the only two people in Michigan who went to see John Carter. <laughs> that's not true. It's but funny, it almost is on my in my time hop. The amount of like John Carter centric social media there was between us yes. when that came out, which was 2012, 11. No, 12, was, 12. I think it was 12. It okay. was 12. Yep. It was March 9th, 2012. There you go. That's why. Yes. Um. Anyway, yeah, I thought you might be reminded of that 
Well, and that's the thing I did write down here. This is my favorite music of the series. Like this, the song that starts playing as as William starts shooting everyone. Well, it because it's real music. It's not like I feel like a lot of the music in the series is so like. Well, no, but the interesting thing is, like, it is a very it's a familiar Westworld theme, and I I hate the fact that I don't know what it is, and it makes me want to start listening to the season one soundtrack over yeah. and over again. <clears throat> But it's a very familiar theme that gets more instrumentation layered onto yes. it and like darker color to the overall tone. It's it's more this whole sequence is it's more a traditional score, which yes. is what I meant by real music. Yeah, and I that's just think fair. it's funny because Westworld is usually just like it'll be like one or two instruments playing like a melody and it's always something really foreboding and it's not so much a melody as just like a music bed. Yes. And this scene really struck you, or struck me, strikes the viewer, I would imagine, for a lot of reasons, but the music is definitely a major one. For sure. Well, and the funny thing is also that the dude playing guitar outside of the cantina is Ramin Javadi, the guy who composes the music. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. So he did get a little cameo in there. That's cool. Um, William's flashing back to his wife's suicide. In season one, he tells Teddy that she took the wrong pills and fell asleep in the bath. Mm-hmm. But this bathtub has blood in it. Yep. Like, we see blood in the bathtub. So we don't quite understand exactly what happened with that. Is it William just softening the story for other people because he doesn't feel the need to share all the details? Doesn't he also say that his daughter told him about the suicide his daughter told him that it wasn't an accident is what he says last season he says he says at the funeral he went to comfort his daughter but she told him that it wasn't an accident and how she really felt about him essentially and so i do feel like it's his him changing the story because it seems like he's the one who finds her and it's very intentional and he knows why like he wants to put the blame. Well, but some of the it, it could it could be denial. Like it could be, he saw it and was in denial, and his daughter was like, "No, she fucking hated you." Like that. I can imagine anybody in that position would not want to believe what's happening to them, but also the fact that she confirms it's because of him is kind of what. Hmm. Yeah, I think he he means to say with that, but the fact that he. Hit, hit the fact that she's bleeding is it strikes me as strange and there is the the explanation explanation of him not wanting to share all of the details makes sense to me in some ways but it doesn't in others because it's like he's in the park he knows teddy's never going to remember it what does it really even necessarily matter but i don't know i just think there could be something more there yeah if if there's anybody out there championing the theory that William is a is a host or a host human hybrid. This could be his memory playing tricks on itself. Also true. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um he does get shot. He gets he gets a kind of a glancing blow to the neck at one point. Some people thought he got shot twice, but you can actually see dust coming off of the ceiling above him. Hmm. Uh when the dude outside shoots so, I don't know. It's just a very well-made sequence. When, when At the end of it, when he puts his head down and the rain is just dripping off of his hat is such a beautiful, it's really cool. beautiful image and kind of sad. Like, it, it, it feels like he kind of realizes that, like, 
I think he in that in that whole scene, but obviously in that moment, he realizes like this is what I was here. Mm-hmm. Like I was Craddock. I think that Ford arranged the pieces that way. Yeah, I'm thinking, especially with the dancing. Yep, like he's holding the mirror up to him. Absolutely, it is. It is like if you look at the scene side by side, it is dead on the exact same thing. They do a twirl, everything. If you had what told me in season one that I would be rooting for like a redemption for the man in black, I'd be like, I don't want that. Yeah, and now I so do. It's amazing. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, any other thoughts on this scene? No, it was fantastic. I'm not sure if the, if the science holds up with the uh, nitro shot followed by gunshot, but I don't care. It's awesome. It's like the end of Jaws. Uh, it's it's great. Some people were remarking that he needed to get permission for explosives in the first season with the cigar, and obviously all those safeguards are off now, but mm-hmm. people were wondering if the nitro worked the same way as that. Who knows? They're playing pretty fast and loose with that kind of stuff in the show. Uh, his line... You think death favors you? It brought you back. But death's decisions are final. It's only the living that they're inconstant. They waver. They don't know who they are or what they want. Death is always true. You haven't known a true thing in all your life. You think you know death, but you don't. Is that so? You didn't recognize him sitting across from you this whole time. This is awesome. Is just. John John said that's that's like the one who knocks level yeah dialogue for yep. sure that's a great so, comparison it's so good so good all right uh, three more scenes here we'll get through them we're back in Dallas's apartment this time he pours the creamer with no problem a different person announces the visitor from the previous two times and we find that old William walks in. He goes through the prerequisite conversation with Delos and mentions that he find, uh, he hits a cognitive plateau after some amount of time. He made it to 35 days on this build, the 149th build. And in the 30 years that he's been doing this, William has finally decided that people aren't meant to live forever. He reveals to Delos that Juliet killed herself and that Logan overdosed years ago. William leaves Delos angry, angry, throwing things in the apartment, and he doesn't request termination so they can monitor his degeneration. Um, I think it's it's a little sadistic for sure to just leave him in there losing his mind. Absolutely, I think that's the the real motivation behind it. I think he tells the tech that like oh, it might be useful to watch that, but the expression on his face as he turns away tells me he's he's torturing the he's, the man who. Probably guided him into being the real man in black that we see. He's definitely, a, what does he say, like a sh- certifiable shithead or something like that? A veritable shithead. A veritable shithead, yes. yeah. Fantastic. Once again, the writing in this episode. Yeah. Top notch. Ed Harris is uh, just firing on all cylinders in this season. I mean, he was in season one right off the bat. We were like, oh, this is fantastic. But they're giving him 
more depth, a lot more depth now, and it's he's just running with it. He's terrific. Someone on Reddit commented that like when he first appeared in the series, I was like, he's looking kind of frail. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, but I saw him in this last scene with Delos, and I was like, that's Ed Harris. He's okay. Yeah, he's he's totally fine. I don't think he's as old as I think he is. I think we've I done at, this before yeah, too. <laughs> I'm thinking so. We were. I think he's like in his sixties. Yeah, it's something like that. Um, I could be totally wrong. Let's find out. Oh, um, he was born in 1950. All right, so he's 68. Yeah, not, not bad. too bad. Um, I forgot to mention how awesome it is now, especially with this scene that Ed Harris is in both the Truman Show and this. Yeah, and yeah. he's kind of the guy behind the glass in the control room in both instances. Yeah, and the two works are becoming similar <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> And now I really want to go back and rewatch the Truman Show. It really show. reminds you of the darkness that is in the Truman Show, despite it being kind of a kind of sunny on the surface. Yeah, yeah, kind of an uplifting movie. It is, but yeah. it is also very dark. Um, yeah, so Williams' lines about the cognitive plateau, he says, but it's more like your mind rejects reality and rejects itself. <sighs> I don't understand what that means, and I don't, think we are meant to really know what it means at this point as i was saying earlier in the episode but i i just don't quite get how that would work it's kind of like the idea that they've created the consciousness so faithfully that they haven't found the way to adapt it into being able to use a body like that i think what you pointed out in this uh, just a few minutes ago is really valid that it always seems to come at the point where he drops the bombs on him about everything. And yeah. I think that maybe you just can't artificially create the coping mechanism that we all have built into us. Cause I think that we all, you know, when you're like, as, as you get older as a human, you get thicker skin, so to speak, you learn how to cope with all sorts of trauma. And when you're a little kid, uh, if really there, there's a reason that when traumatic things happen to children, it, it stunts them and it changes yeah. them and it twists them. And I think what you essentially have is the is adult knowledge and adult trauma being dropped onto a mind that is 35 days old uh-huh. or 24 hours old. And it, it just can't... Like, this might work given enough time mm-hmm. and being spoon-fed small things, but it, it, at the same time, it's a paradox because he is himself. He could recall, like... Okay, I'm James Delos. I'm 65 years old, whatever. I remember when my dog died when I was 10. I remember when my mom died when I was 25. I'm married to this I, person. I, I remember yeah. when I broke my arm. I, and he could recall all of his past traumas, but a new trauma might be the, like, I don't know the word for it because I'm not good at that, but th- that just might be the point. break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the, the, the cognitive plateau <laughs> that he, the mind cannot deal with these traumas on this level yet because William is coming in and dropping a bombshell on him every single time. It's like, Oh, you, you made it a week. Let me go in there. You're not real. <laughs> well, and, and that's then, the and thing. I'm wondering meltdown. if it is any trauma or if it is that specific trauma. I, I wonder too, but I feel like while he's in there, they're making him exercise. They're making him eat. They're making him. And he says they, they've poked and prodded me, you know, every which way. But we don't know if that's just implanted memories of like 
in his mind, he thinks, okay. Like, if they did lay out the timeline. At first, I was wondering every time, did they literally fire him up? He did his morning routine, and then William walked in. But we know at one point he makes it a week, and then he makes it 35 days. So I got to imagine other people are coming in there and, like, doing, like, giving him food pretend physical tests like okay let me hit your knee with a little thing and take but really it's it's just seeing how long his his brain will hold together but i i think it has something to do with those traumas because the way he starts stammering and i don't know with william putting it with the your mind is rejecting reality i mean it's almost like you're just going insane but at like a slight provocation yeah i mean yeah. But maybe the reality of a human mind, like it might seem good on the surface to be like, oh, I could get put into a new body and that's great. But, you know, on, on an unconscious level, what does that do to you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and it's, it's simply like the, the of, idea that like... Have you ever seen Old Boy? I have not. Okay. I can't talk about the ending of Old Boy. But the, if anyone listening has seen Old Boy... In the ending of Old Boy, you might be trying to see the conclusion I'm trying to draw here. <laughs> Between like crazy knowledge, some some something so earth shattering being told to you that it just undoes you in a way. The idea that like you having if somebody walked up to me and said, Hey, your human body's dead, now you're actually a robot. I feel like to any normal human right now, that is that is, I would equip like my equivalent reaction would be that doesn't look like anything to me. Like I would not be able to comprehend that, right? By any stretch of the imagination, so much so that my human brain wouldn't believe it, probably, right? But the idea that Delos was primed for this experience and then still has to realize that his body died and he's now someone else is like a whole different. Well, especially with the, the, I think the biggest bombshell in this sequence is your build 149. Yeah. So are those uh, 148 prior ones, were any of them really you? Are you really you? Or did you (laughs) die? Are you totally dead and you are just a carbon copy that, you know, even if on the surface you're like, oh, this is cool. In the back of your mind, you're going to be like, oh, shit, am I even going to make it out of this room? Am I going to make it to the next hour? Or at what point do I shut down? Or what point do they pull the plug on me? Like, there are so many... We we know we know the things that can... Most of the things that can kill us as humans. But yeah. as, a, as, a, as a creation, someone has total dominion over you. Like, William could just pull the plug. You know what I mean? Tap a button and blow up the it, thing in his spine. Exactly, you know? yeah. That's a whole other. I mean, so much is going to run through your mind in those first few moments. I think it's it. I don't know why I've thought this before, but it'd be like the equivalent of like you finding out that you were adopted, like at this age. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what kind of bombshell would that be on your world as like a as someone in your twenties or your thirties to find out that your biological parents aren't your biological parents? You know what yeah. I mean? That that's the kind of thing that the, the, it's, it's, it's closer to the order of magnitude of what kind of bombshell that actually exactly yeah. yeah something that is everything your reality is constructed around i mean your your parents are a cornerstone of who you are if not the first cornerstone of who you are and to have something like that upended for you i'd imagine would be that it's kind of almost thing. well it's the idea of like we as humans don't really understand consciousness and what it is yet but the idea that like you're you are revealing to your subconscious that it is not what it once was, essentially. And that's 
mind-breaking on a different level. Maybe that's a cognitive plateau. And our our minds at this point, especially, I mean, as adults, we process so much information so quickly that we don't think about it. Like, there are so many things that we intake all the time that inform every step we take that we don't think about. And I think that if someone were to tell you that, like, oh, if you were to realize that you must have died and you are, in fact, a, a host or something like it, your brain's going to start doing all sorts of stuff without you thinking about it. And yeah. I think that may just cause the kettle to boil over every time. Absolutely. But I Absolutely. do like that William comes to the realization that you were probably just a shitty person to begin with. And maybe why are we even doing this to you? One thing I really do love about this is that Delos is not... The reason they're doing it was just because he volunteered, it seems. And he's the reason that... It was probably part of the arrangement. I like that it's not that, oh, James Delos is so important. We have to keep him around. Like, no one He's gives the a dude shit. that has the money to do it. But not anymore because it's William's yeah. company. <laughs> and when you and John, this is one thing I wanted to argue with you guys about in the previous episodes when you were talking about, like, oh, is he in Abernathy's body? I was like, no way. I'm like, James Delos yeah. is not important he at was, all. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> he was important, but he's now just another old man that needed to walk into the sea and die because the new generation is going to take over. And I was like, I was par- prepared to defend this to the death. I was like, there's no way that he's inside there. That's not what's so important. And I'm glad that this episode was like, yeah, he's just, he was just the guinea pig, essentially. I'm still curious, naturally curious about why, why Abernathy glitched at that picture. And I wonder if we will ever get that answer. I think, I think that that is a point of curiosity. Yeah. And I feel like maybe some part of, of Delos is in there like maybe part part of him was uh recycled for exactly Abernathy's yeah. programming in the way that if I'm going to jump into another universe here like Vision is like Ultron is yeah. like Henry Pym yeah like they're all mapped after Those each other in a are all exactly but, the, but, into, but they're different people yes yeah or different no. entities that makes sense we'll see anyway yeah I think this is incredible stuff absolutely uh all right Elsie and Bernard walk into a red light bathed laboratory where Delos still resides. The place is trashed. The tech was killed and Delos has gone crazy. Elsie holds a gun up to him, but he bats it away. Bernard ultimately takes him down. They leave, lock him up and incinerate him. Bernard informs Elsie that he was a host version of Jim Delos. She gets angry that their work is dedicated to helping rich people live forever and wants to head to the Mesa and she allows Bernard to join her. Bernard reveals that Ford had to make another control unit for a human-host hybrid, but he doesn't know who it's for. He ultimately realizes that he's the one that killed everyone in that lab. And just rolls with it. Doesn't tell Elsie. Nope. Yeah. just is like, nothing. Yeah, no more lies. (laughs) By the way, I killed everyone. No. Uh, Delos's craziness. Awesome. Super scary. Yeah. I can see you all the way to the bottom. Would you like to see what I see? They said there were two fathers. One above, one below. They lied. I was only ever the devil. I went to the god from the water. It was just as rough. 
satisfaction. Laughing back down at you. To me, I took that to kind of be like a his whole speech there is kind of like the idea that like God, there, there is no God. God is not, God does not exist. There's only ever just the devil. That is the humans that we are essentially kind of thing. I don't know if there's more to it as of yet. I'm fairly certain he's not quoting anything. It's not Shakespeare or anything like that from what I know. Um, but it just seems very interesting and kind of, somewhat of a thesis statement of everything that that <laughs> Delos Delos thing was essentially. Um, but very horrifying. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Fantastically done. Yeah. I really like on their way out of there. She's like, was that, please tell me that was a host, not a human. He's like, I think it was both. And that <laughs> yeah. is truly terrifying. Yes. And that, that it could be both mixed up in one sort of vessel. And I, that's why I like that it isn't Shakespeare. And I think that those are original Jim, Jim Delos, Delos thoughts. thoughts. And uh, that makes it so creepy. We got to go get the Delos Thoughts Twitter handle right now real quick. Yeah. Sorry. Pause. <laughs> Delosthoughts.com. Yes. Dot accountants. <laughs> Delosthoughts.sexy. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's... I, I really liked his meltdown. It reminded me of... Um, you know, and I can't place it. Shoot. The way he was cutting on himself, too. Mm. A little bit. Uh, no, I can't say it. Because if no one's seen this movie, then I don't <laughs> want to ruin it for them. But I think you know what I'm what I'm thinking about now. Anyway. It, it Delos reminds, reminds you of a movie that you enjoy very much. Yeah. The science char- fiction one exactly. from many years ago. Yeah. Not many years ago. Well, roughly roughly 10 years ago. Yes. A movie we've talked about a lot on the film nerds. So that's all I want to say. Because I don't... If, anyone, if no one's seen it, you're... You're not going to know what I'm talking about, so you're not going to be able to watch it anyway. So there's yeah, the, but you should go watch this movie. There's, that we're not going to tell you what it is. The great tragedy of it all. <laughs> I was thinking the same. It's funny because I had a similar moment. The idea of Bernard experiencing all of his memories at once is much like a science fiction movie that came out a couple years ago that I love very much. That people should watch, but I can't tell you otherwise it's a spoiler. See now, I don't know what you're talking about. I will tell you, and then I will edit it out. Okay. Anyway, Crazy Dallas is nuts. Yeah, he's really fun. We've uh, already spoken about who the mind egg might be. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping we. I'm find looking that forward out. to us being wrong yeah. on all accounts. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be. Uh, I always forget her name because I'm really bad at remembering her name from season one. Teresa Cullen. Yep, I loved her. Uh, hopefully, she was such a great character. Hopefully, it's the real old Bill. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Let's bring Michael Wincott back into the fold, please. Old Bill was just Logan. Just old Logan. Beautiful. That'd be awesome. Yes. Uh, Old William. The final scene, Old William tidies up his horse and gains a few followers in in Lawrence's cousins. Before he leaves, Ford speaks through Lawrence's daughter who mentions that the one good deed is not good enough to make up for all the other stuff that William has done. She also tells him that if he's looking forward, he's looking in the wrong direction. As William rides off, he and the crew come to a stop when an opposing rider comes up and it's Grace and she says, Hi, Dad. So now it's William or it's Emily. Uh the the HBO uh recap does confirm it is Emily. He doesn't have another daughter named Grace. Oh, okay. So that was just a red herring given in the credits or the IMDB. Maybe it's her middle name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. It could be like Emily Grace, whatever the hell his name is. But Tell us. 
Well, he's not a Delos. Yeah, it's not. That's maybe right. maybe he took her name. Maybe <laughs> progressive. Um. Yeah, I don't really know what that means, and I'm interested to find out what it means. I didn't expect to see her in the series as a character alongside him. No, by any I, stretch uh, of the imagination. I'm curious why she was hanging out in the Raj if she knows her dad loves Westworld. I mean, I guess I don't know what her goal is because she seemed like she was there to just enjoy the park. But her map has the sideway. It has the double hexagon. Yeah, that's true. I did want to note the um, the hourglass that's in Delos's apartment mm-hmm. looks kind of like uh, somebody on Reddit realized that the double hexagon looks like a an infinity sign or infinity sign or a an hourglass tipped on its side which i think is very interesting the idea that you're stopping time to live forever essentially Mm -hmm. uh so that's very cool but no uh what do you what do you think of grace as a character i mean we talked about a little bit the idea that we're intrigued by her but how do you how do you feel about i liked her her confidence that was very evident and her insider knowledge. I also like that although the dude who rolls up on her in uh, the Raj, whose name is Nicholas, I saw in the subtitles. Uh. Damn, poor Nicholas. <laughs> can't, get a, can't get a Nicholas in here to save my life. Um, he seems like he, you think he's the one that's going to be like kind of running the scene and oh, it's yeah. not at all. Like right off the bat, she takes, she takes the reins. Yep. I think that's pretty cool. I think that that's really neat about this show is that the women are largely the ones who are kind of in charge. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that it's cool that things seem to be sort of coming down to Dolores and Maeve, or at least in how it feels right now. Yeah. They are the two that are going to kind of shape the world moving forward. And I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. While I was on the, uh, on my honeymoon, I read Dune while I was there for the first time actually started it a couple of years ago and I got like 80 pages in and then I started it again and I got like a hundred pages in and then I finally restarted it again from scratch and read the whole thing. And one very, very major theme of that book, especially by the end is that there are great men in the world who make a lot of, they make a lot of change, but they are always have women at their back that are making it possible for yeah. them. And I think that's been an adage for a long time that behind every great man is a great woman. Yeah. And uh, I think that I like that that's kind of how this show is approaching things too, that these women are often making things happen. So I'm really curious to see what role she has to play both in her own narrative, but as well as Williams, because I can't imagine he's going to just ride on past her and go, go home. Yeah. It seems, especially after what we just saw. And I think with his redemption, essentially this will give him a much more, necessary it puts her in front of him to say you need to make good on this and i'm wondering how much because he says at the beginning of the episode that he believes there's other contenders in ford's game and she's headed to one of these secret labs maybe or something which is maybe where william is going to we don't know necessarily yeah i wonder what he means by contender if there's other people after the same objective as which as him which we still don't really know what it is yet he was when he was calling it his biggest mistake or his first mistake i forgot what he said 
midway through this episode, I thought he was referring to Jim Delos and that area. Yeah. And that may be it. Yeah. I mean, they may be heading there and we just think we haven't seen it yet, but just because Bernard's there doesn't mean that it, that's not it. You yeah. Know? Should be interesting. I'm still waiting for some crazy, insane reveal, but that's pretty insane. So I don't know what I, what else I would expect. <laughs> Yeah, I it, it but it just kind of struck me as like if she is also there playing the same game with him and Ford has orchestrated it. William says that Ford has orchestrated a reunion and he intends it to be for Lawrence because they're headed to Las Modus, but it also ends up being a reunion for William. That's true. And has Ford been? Is Ford pulling the strings to bring a select group of people together, meaning William and his daughter, and who else knows? That feels like a, a bit of a stretch to me. I don't think you could anticipate a tiger chasing her off a cliff and then her washing up in another park. Well, not necessarily like that. I don't. Also, are they really that close to each other? The parks they're only separated by like a lake, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I, I'm I'm very curious about the geography of this island. I guess she made. got across. She could get across a boundary. So could the tiger because the park is in wacko mode. Yes. But I don't know. But the it, I. It's not like she took an intended entrance into the park. That's true. But I, I'm. We don't necessarily know why she was there, and it seems like she's doodling notes in the notebook when the old man before Nicholas is at the table with her. Mm-hmm. So maybe she came there to get some information. We don't. Re- I don't know. That's true. She we don't know. Jumping from park to park. Yeah, a lot of this could be like maybe the directions wherever she was at have brought her to where she was where she was looking to go. But I don't know. Well, I'm sure we'll know more of this if not next week than the week after. So yeah. Any other thoughts? No, pretty awesome episode. I'm glad that we. I'm glad that we're just getting there with a lot of the questions that are getting raised. We're not waiting till episode nine to see like, oh, it was Delos in there after all. It, it's what you know what I mean. Like we're we're just moving through it. It's Absolutely. Pretty great. I'm glad we got a pause from the Dolores storyline. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of. I don't think I'm quite as down on it as you and John, but I'm. It's not an, the most interesting story to me. It's wearing thin. Um. In a way, I'm glad. Like, I haven't watched any Lost, or not much Lost, as I've told you, but I know Lost gets the raw end of the stick, but I think it did teach showrunners that you can't just string people along forever. No. you got to have a plan. you got to figure it all out. And I think shows like Westworld are the some of the product of that. They're both J.J. Yeah. Abrams' products, technically. Yeah. You know? But, um, no, I think they're doing it right. So. I agree. I heard you say that they have a five or six season plan. That was what they said in season one. That's pretty awesome. So I'm glad you need that end in sight, and we just need the show to make it to that end. Yeah. I don't see why it wouldn't. It's doing so well. Absolutely. Everyone loves it. Yeah. Everyone, Brian Fuller said he had a six season plan for Hannibal, Hannibal and yep. only made it halfway, and I just was really upset. Yeah. Because they were right there. Yep. Up season four was going to be Red Dragon, five was going to be Sounds of the Lambs, and six was going to be Hannibal. He was finally going to get to like the Thomas Harris books, and I was like, dang it. <laughs> I got so close. That's a bummer. Yeah. All right. Well, once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on Westworld.fm. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. We're Westworld FM on Twitter, and you can email us at westworldfm at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld so we can read them. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. 
The Midwest Podcast Network has several other shows about video games, horror movies, and more. If you missed John, check out the Midwest Game Nerds Podcast. Oh, John. I'm on there with him talking about video games. To answer John's uh, question from the end of the last episode, I have eaten many, many Costco hot dogs. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. They are delicious. See, we're answering questions on our podcast, Yes, yeah, so to our own hosts' uh, burning questions. <laughs> check out all of our shows at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song Industrial Cinematic by Kevin McLeod, and it is being used under an Attribution Creative Commons license. And that's it for our episode this week. We're excited for the next episode of Westworld, and we'll have another episode of our podcast out after that. But until then, may you rest and have a deep